Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of The Only Podcast. I am your co-host, Austin Smith, joined as always by your other co-host, John Kirby. You can find us on Twitter at ACSmith06 and at John underscore Kirby. And as always, follow the mothership at The Only Colors. Today is Wednesday, November 30th. And um, guys, I'm going to try to remember to post the TOC article this week. Nice. I didn't do that last week. However... However, mm-hmm. there is an episode available on Spotify and other platforms uh, from last week, if you'd care to go back and listen. We feel like it was pretty decent, um, but not good enough to tell everyone about. So, you know, you you decide, you choose your own adventure from there. But, John, this week, uh, we're actually going to talk to the people. And some things happen that we should talk about, don't you think? Yeah, I think that's so funny that we didn't even go and correct it though we're just like you know what that one's for the true sickos the people that have the push notifications you guys got bonus material we love you yep um but now you get to tune in and listen to us talk about michigan state's 35 to 16 loss at penn state (laughs) or do you because we might not talk about that game i think we might fast forward to the fact that the season is over it can't hurt you anymore. Mm-hmm. There's rumors of a bowl game potentially for a five and seven team. I, I don't think they are as feasible as they once were. Who knows? Uh, but we're going to operate on the assumption that they are not going to a bowl game. And I think we need to kind of zoom out like we always do and, and talk about the season at large and, and what this means moving forward. So, what do you think, Austin? Where should we start? There's, I think we know that there's personnel is is the main topic of conversation in MSU's mm-hmm. fan base, both from a player side and a coaching side. Where would you like to start? Well, first thing I want to say is in regards to that bowl game, as unattractive and as uh, honestly undeserving as this team is to make a bowl game, I'm taking it. Mm-hmm. If they're going to offer it, I'm taking it. And I hope that all of I don't think that would slow down anything that that is going to happen this offseason, um, which is all for the better, because then hopefully you're truly getting the guys who are going to be on this team and contributing next year an extra handful of practices, which, as we have seen, uh, can't possibly hurt. Um, now, like you said, John, I, th- I think the, the best place to start is just by stating the obvious. Um, I think 
it's fair to say that that's about three, the three and nine post-college football playoff year notwithstanding. This was the most disappointing Michigan State football season I can personally remember. Um, it's kind of it, it's really just an unacceptable. And the reason I use that term is an unacceptable failure top to bottom. Um, I use that term because as much as you don't want to count anyone else's money, Mel Tucker was given a big contract this offseason with the understanding and the intention of continuing to move this program in the correct direction. And at the very least, build on top of the foundation that you had built a year ago. Were the concerns because Kenneth Walker was off to the NFL? Of course, justifiably so. A um, handful of other players had left. But in all honesty, when you looked at, as you can hear my dryer going off in the background, um, <laughs> very fitting. Um, as you looked at this team going into the season, the expectations were that this would be at least an eight-win team. The schedule looked manageable. You got a quarterback in Peyton Thorne who had come off a record-setting year. You got in a couple of what you perceived to be impact transfers at the running back position who you thought could, hey, we can we can patch things up uh, and at least come close-ish to what Kenneth Walker did. You had a receiver coming back in Jaden Reed, who was incredible the year before. Offensive line who had some young guys that were going to be featured. And then defensively, you know, I think the the, the line of thought was it just can't get a lot worse, um, despite losing a handful of players. Again, transfers like Windman, Bogle, Speed, et cetera. <clears throat> we thought the reinforcements were here. Again, I don't think anybody thought an 11-win season was coming. Nobody saw it was coming last year. I don't think anybody thought it would be coming this year either. That being said, schedule looked like it just shaped up for, you know, at a bare, bare minimum, I would say a seven win season, probably fair to expect more than that again at the beginning of the season. And I don't think it's just the fact that Michigan State didn't live up to that, that win total. I think it's how they kept losing throughout the season, because again, mm -hmm. Mel Tucker was given this contract because we thought, okay, this is the man to lead the program. This is the guy who's going to put his coaches. He's going to select the right coaches. He's going to be overseeing this game plan that worked so well a year ago, and he's going to correct mistakes. And we didn't see that at all. I think that's the most disheartening. And that's honestly the most John L part of this entire year, as much as that much might hurt to hear is that there was no consistency to why they lost games. And there was no consistency to why they, there was some consistency as to why they won. But this team never made anything easy on itself. Even go back, I mean, the Akron game is the yeah. only game where you're like, okay, this, hey, this is working. 52 to nothing. Even that score is misleading. Western Michigan was a nail biter. Wisconsin was double overtime. Illinois was, I mean, beneficiary of some wind. Rutgers, for all intents and purposes, was an absolute, no, it was an absolute nail biter. And, you know, nothing was easy. We didn't see any development from Peyton Thorne, any development from that player, or really across the board. We didn't see a lot of development, period. It was a lot of the same from the same guys. And I think that to me is the most disappointing part because you had every opportunity to grow 
and we saw no growth from from anywhere. I think maybe my only exception to that, and this is without you know going into the offensive line. I think we saw some good things towards the end of the year from a couple of the young guys, which is very exciting, um, and maybe a few other dudes. But but in the big key positions, I, I honestly think jumping out off the page, Keon Coleman was a revelation this year. Managed to still put up almost 800 yards and seven touchdowns despite all of the offensive struggles. Um, and honestly, that's kind of it. I think Winman was, was a standout, but he was a transfer. So it, it, that's the troubling part for me. And then on top of all of that, you add in what happened in the tunnel at Michigan. Um, again, lots of blame to go around there. We're not going to rehash that whole thing, but that is <laughs> emblematic of a program that, that doesn't have its players under control. And that, again, should worry people. So I think we can go through more line by line, but like, you know, massive, massive disappointment. Again, just calling a spade a spade here. And yep. as we sit here today recording this, um, I think it is fair to expect and reasonable to expect big changes to be made. I'm not willing to say I'm out on Mel Tucker by any stretch. It's one bad season. Okay. I understand. Like we're not working with a huge body of evidence here. Throw the COVID year out. In my opinion, these last two years, we've got one great one, one terrible one. What does the third one bring? Okay. And how do you move your program back to a point where that arrow is pointing up and not pointing down? Um, and because Mel has been given this big contract that is long-term, we should, as fans and alumni, and if you're a donor, a donor, expect to see changes that push your team in the right direction. That's from a coaching staff perspective. That's from doing better in the transfer portal. That's from still managing to land big recruits. You're tr we're trying to play like big boys. So you need, you need to, to write this ship because if you come out next year and have another year like this, I think I think all of all of the goodwill that you built up last year, honestly, is kind of gone as of today, in my estimation. So it's it, it's time to kind of put up or shut up. And I don't think anybody thought we would be at that point sitting here after the this season ended. I I, I thought we might end up somewhere in the middle, kind of being like, okay, you know, eight wins, fine, whatever. Not sitting here being like what the hell are we even going to do? So <laughs> there's my spiel, John. I'm curious as to what you think. Yeah, I think what we learned is in year two and year three, the actual output is probably somewhere in between 11 wins and five wins with the current personnel. You know, we saw, I think if you roll this back out there next year, you're going to win somewhere between five and 11 games. Wow, big statement, right? But I think it's going to be right in the middle. Eight. That's an eight-win team. If you're okay with your four being an eight-win team as Mel Tucker, then I think you have the wrong people in place. So what changes are going to be made, right? You, we, we've talked about it last week. We know who the – we know the ceiling with everyone now. So um, you got to really – be able to take a step back and and make some decisions about people who are nice 
decent, you know, college players or coaches, but they are not college football play playoff caliber players or coaches. And that's the goal. And, and it's it sucks that it's that cut and dry sometimes. But as you alluded to, this is not just a business. This is big business. And the CEO is paid a lot of money to make big business decisions. And so they will need to move forward knowing they need to go procure or take a chance on people who have higher ceilings than the folks that are currently in place. I mean, I, that's where, I mean, it's, it's, I don't want to oversimplify it, but that, it's pretty simple. What yeah, are you going to do? I mean, the CEO analogy is, is often used, but here I think it's applicable. I mean, yeah. Mel Tucker's not going to be in every meeting, but he needs to trust the people that are in every meeting to do the job and to help him develop these players because he is doing a great job and he is very involved in the recruitment of these players to the school. And we can talk about that a little bit more, but once they get there, what are you going to do with it? Because we've seen it time and time again. Look at Texas, look at Miami, look at USC really until this year, you can get great players to a school. And that honestly is those calibers of players are guys that Michigan state's dreaming about getting right now. And once they're there though, if you don't have the personnel to bring out their best or anything close to that, then it doesn't matter. You're just, you're, you're doing, you're winning the off season and you're failing in the regular season. We saw with Texas, Texas A&M this year, um, same kind of deal until last week when they go ahead and beat a top five team, of course. Uh, but it's a, that's why it's a systemic thing. And I, I, and, and I said before that I think your, your kind of benefit of the doubt is gone now. The goodwill is gone now because you now have in front of you, as if you are Mel Tucker CEO, you are looking at your coaching staff and your players. You have every reason to, for lack of a better term, process guys that you don't think are up to the standard of playing for a national championship team. I mean, a national championship college football playoff team. Like if that's the goal, because that should be the goal. Can this guy play on, on, on a team like that? Yes. Keep them. No. Try to help them find greener pastures, whether people like it or not, that's how this thing really works. Um, and the same more directly applies to the coaching staff. You know, I've heard a lot of, you know, in, in both cases, you've, with the, let's go back to the players. You've heard a lot this year about, well, this is a really tough year because, you know, year three of a new coach, Typically, your your guys that you're playing a lot are either really young and inexperienced or they're holdovers from the previous regime and they're experienced, but not all that good. That's fine. That's also now gone. You've had three. You will have three of your own recruiting classes in the door, plus all of the transfers that you've been able to bring in. You should have enough of a base for this thing to turn in the right direction. That excuse gone. On the other side, like on the player side, just to wrap that up, you're not. I'm not saying this is that final, final product, but this should be a good enough product to put more on the field than you put this year. And to us, to again, point that arrow in the right direction on the coaching staff, you know, uh, we've said it here several times. Mel Tucker was to his credit, dealt a very difficult hand when it came to putting together a staff, a, it was COVID B it was after signing day. Uh, and you know, it was at a job that quite frankly, probably wasn't all that attractive. He was asked he couldn't get anybody to take, lateral moves he was probably overpaying guys that were underqualified and i think quite honestly we've seen that based on some of the results so 
but you now, because of what just took place this season, have every opportunity to say, listen, this isn't working out. I'm going to go get my guy. I'm going to bring in my guy to mm -hmm. run this defense, to manage these special teams, to help me manage the freaking clock at the end of halves, to do whatever it might be. You now have every excuse to clean house for all intents and purposes, yeah. uh, if, if that's what you so desire. If that doesn't happen to some degree, the natives are going to get very restless in the Michigan State fandom, and they're going to be calling for very specific names very quickly as soon as something goes wrong next year, and that negative energy is not going to help anybody move forward. I'm not saying fire every single coach. I think there are certain coaches that did a pretty admirable job, but especially on the defensive side of the ball, especially in that back seven linebackers secondary, it's hard to look at that even with injuries, even with suspensions and feel as though even with a healthy team, you were really set up for success. Look at the very beginning of the year. They're getting ripped apart, ripped apart by Minnesota, yep. by Maryland, yep. even by Western Michigan to a large degree. You can't tell me that the answer is there. So something has to be done. I'm not sure what it is. I don't know who they're going to try to go after, but you you are now at a point where, as Mel Tucker CEO, you have to take action. And I won't be surprised if that action is uh, fairly swift and fairly severe. Well, you know, it's going to start happening fast because, and it needs to because um, the portal has, action has begun. Your favorite mm -hmm. time. Um, people are making those decisions everywhere right now, coaching and player. So you got to know what you're selling. If you're a coach, you know, who, what are you selling? You know, put who, what positions do you have available and what coaches are going to be coaching them? And you need to get all that squared away before you can really get involved in the, uh, talent and, uh, addition game. Right. So like you said, it's the changes have to happen. They have to happen right now, like now this week now, so that you can take steps forward, frankly. And you can't, you're handicapping yourself every moment you wait. Um, and, and by the way, be really careful about um, coaches grading their own papers here. And when I say that, I mean, it's always healthy to look outside of an organization to get those grades, people who don't have a bias and say, how did they do? Including fans, no fans either, by the way. We know what we wanted to see. But it's really hard sometimes to, to self-evaluate when you want it to go better or even have coaches evaluate their own players um, because they can say, well, they graded really well, but it just didn't work out. It's like, okay. Is there a bias there that maybe you don't even want to have as you're grading people out through the year? And you got to consider those things because you could be making the wrong decision by accident by um, because you want things to go well or you wanted them to do well and it just didn't work out. So I'm kind of speaking like vaguely right now, but I just I think it's really important to, you know, Mel, the CEO, needs to also seek outside counsel on grading his team and coaches performances because if you leave it up to the coaches to grade their own position <laughs> groups they're gonna say 
you know, there, hey, there's still potential there or whatever, you know, well, is the potential good enough to go to the college football playoff? That's the only thing that you need to worry about if you're Mel Tucker. And if the answer is no, then you need to figure out how to get coaches or players that can. Otherwise, we're just sort of um, wasting our time. So with that, uh, there are a couple players that we know will be leaving. Uh, Jaden Reed will leave as one of the better receivers in Michigan State history, um, one of 12 with Michigan State history with 2,000 plus yards, sixth in total receptions, and seventh in total touchdown receptions with 18. Um, he will be missed. There's going to be a lot of additions and subtractions. So we'll talk about who's filling those shoes once we let the portal shake out because there's already some action there. I think everyone wants to talk about the quarterback position now, Austin. And the, the conundrum is that, for better or worse, Peyton Thorne is statistically a top five quarterback in, in Michigan State history. What does that mean, though? Does that matter? It shouldn't. And and for context for everyone, that's he's sixth in completions, fifth in completion percentage, sixth in passing yards, and fourth in touchdowns with a year to go. Okay. What do you think? I'm just gonna I just will leave all of that information up to you and say what what happens next? Yeah, it's a it's a great question because if you look at the numbers you 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 would think oh it's it's kind of crazy to even consider doing anything right like this guy's the surefire starter he's you know potentially one of the best quarterbacks in school history and that's all well and good but i think getting caught up in the best in school history conversation like lacks a lot of context because if we're very honest with ourselves Michigan State does not have this long proud history of sending great quarterbacks to the NFL this isn't USC this right. isn't you right. know even Alabama like you know I say even Alabama uh this is yeah. this is a school that's put some very respectable quarterbacks in the league um but it's not QBU and so that's great from Peyton. I'm thrilled that he's, you know, he's left his stamp. Even if he doesn't make another start, he's left his stamp on the record books. But if you just look at his numbers from this year, this year, like to, to me, he is trending drastically in the wrong direction. And I, is it all his fault? Maybe not. But a lot of these things that are in his control are his fault. He threw 11 picks and 19 touchdowns this year. That's down from 27 and 10 a year ago. Um, completed 2% more of his passes, threw for 600 fewer yards. I mean, it was a pretty drastic step back. And I've said it throughout the entire season, that's the most disappointing part of this entire team for me, is the lack of development from Peyton Thorne. Yes, Kenneth Walker is gone. There's that is, I think maybe I personally hand up probably underestimated the impact. I think I underestimated how good he, he was. Um, and you can see it now in the NFL. I mean, guys already tearing it up, not surprisingly, but I, you know, in my estimation, I was, I was hoping that, 
you know, Jay Johnson could scheme a way to have a running game that was helpful enough to to give Thorne what he needed. And quite honestly, I was really expecting a step forward from him as after his first year as a starter, the pressure is now on you. And I think we saw he's, he, he wasn't up to it. I don't think you're going to find a lot of better receiver duos in all honesty than Jaden Reed and Keon Coleman. I just, I'm not sure how many of them, I'm sure they are, they are out there. I know they're out there. There's not a ton of them though. Right. Uh, that exist in the country gave you Daniel Barker, who was, a, I think we saw some flashes from as a really productive catching tight end, a couple other and Malik Carr has his moments um, like we saw against Penn state, but I mean, it's Trey not like he's he, fine. Say it. Uh, Trey, Trey Mosley's fine. Trey Mosley's fine. Jeremy Bernard, we saw some moments from early. But this isn't like Thorne threw the ball a million more times this year or a million times less. He had two fewer attempts this year than the year before. And we saw all of these numbers go down. Uh, What you, again, you have to, I think Michigan State is doing themselves a disservice if they do not open up the position for competition in the offseason. I don't know that that necessarily means bringing in another quarterback. I don't know if that's really the answer. I think you're, if you are any school that doesn't have a Caleb Williams or a Bryce Young or a whomever, CJ Stroud, like in one of these good young quarterbacks wants to come play for you, you're, you're crazy if you don't open the door and welcome them in. That's such a hard position to get right. You might as well increase your chances. And Michigan State is certainly not in the position to say no to anyone. So I don't know that they're going to prioritize that. I don't know that they're going to welcome in any kind of transfers. Quite honestly, I think they'd probably got to throw their quarterbacking um, might behind trying to get Dante Moore now that his offensive coordinator is head coach at Arizona State, Kenny Gillingham. But um, I do think that with a guy like Caden Hauser in the wings – and quite honestly, what we saw from Noah Kim in some spots, you owe it to those guys to to open this up. You do. I mean, I mean, quite honestly, what we saw from Peyton Thorne coming out of a quarterback competition last year, as opposed to what we saw out of Peyton Thorne knowing he has the job, I want that first guy back. I don't want this this guy that we had this year. Because if he's going to go out and play like this, like here's how I look at it. If you need an all-time running back to be good at your job, then you're not the guy that should be maintaining that position. It should be somebody else. It, it just should be. And, and it's not even just the numbers that we're talking about here. If you just watch him, it's bad decisions. It's slightly misplaced balls. It's audibling into terrible run calls. Like, I just saw regression from him across the board and I don't, it's not fair to put it all on him. Some of this, if not a lot of this blame needs to go to Jay Johnson because your job is to mentor this quarterback to get better, not to take these steps back. Um, You knew you weren't going to have Kenneth Walker adjust something. And we just, either we saw adjustments and Peyton Thorne wasn't up to it, or we didn't see adjustments and Peyton Thorne didn't, you know, ever, get his team into the right position to be successful. So I personally am pretty hugely disappointed in the season that he had, and I'm sure he is as well. So at a minimum, I want, I think all fans want to see an open competition through the summer. And if that doesn't sit well with Peyton, either buck up and win the job or go somewhere where you're not going to have to compete. 
because you, your performance this year, and this applies to many, many players in this team, your performance did not, does not guarantee you anything just because, and this is a CEO mindset again from Mel Tucker. You've been here. Okay. What else? What have, like, more than anything, this sport is a what have you done for me lately? And Peyton, what Peyton Thorne has done for this team lately is not acceptable from that position. If you are a team that aspires to be a big boy team, that is not, that is simply just not acceptable. So what's the answer? Michigan State needs to probably figure that out as much as they need to figure out anything else. And again, I don't know if they're, I don't think they're going to prioritize a, a transfer portal guy. It'd be interesting. I don't expect it. Um, but I would expect that a minimum to get an open competition heading into to next year. And that's healthy. I think you should be open to that. If you, anyone, you know, we're talking about the quarterback position, but really any position. And if you're, if you don't want that, if you're not comfortable with it, then um, I, I don't know what, where you're going to go where that isn't the case, frankly, because if there are not too many wildly successful programs that hand people the gig based on what they did two years ago. So yeah. um, it's always a healthy exercise, you know, not just in football, but in, in jobs or life is say, would I have this job if I interviewed for it today? And frankly, for players and coaches, I think they all need to ask themselves that. Mm -hmm. Jay Johnson, would you, would you uh, get the offensive coordinator position at Michigan State if you walked in with the resume you did and just insert team a instead of Michigan state on your roster or on your resume. I don't know. I don't think you do. Same, same with uh, defensive coordinator, same with a lot of them, same with the players and the stats and the, the tape they have. So um, you gotta, you, I think it's healthy to have that mindset period. And um, that's okay. Lots to play out. Right. But um, it certainly worked last time they brought in uh, a quarterback yeah. Um, healthy competition and and um, it pushed a lot of people. I think you can do that in a lot of various uh, other positions too. There was not all bad though, Austin. I think we saw positives from certain areas. There was a little bit of growth. Uh, Cal Halliday uh, was just named second team all defense, right? Coaches and media. Wow. Um, Bryce Berenger, Ray Guy finalist, is the most. I don't know, proud I've been of a finalist for an award in a while. <laughs> Having our punter. Um, it's emblematic see. of the season that yeah. Michigan State had that they have the, a finalist for best punter. Like, it's great, but the, the underlying current below that is it's not uh, overly encouraging. I will not. I'm not going to caveat anything. I love it. Good for you. <laughs> Bryce, that rules. I would, if MSU was undefeated, I would make time for that announcement on this podcast. Yes, very so, true, very true. Uh, we love we love the punter position, and it, you know I don't know if there's too much to talk about this season. You know we've 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 kind of been doing this autopsy, you know, while the season's been going on. Quite frankly, mm -hmm. uh, so anything else you want to get on the board before we um, transition? Because there's yeah. going to be a lot more news um, that comes in the next few months. Yeah, I mean, this is this is the right after the the, the body is barely cold. Um, just a couple, like I, I guess, shout outs to guys that you know. Some of them coming back, some of them not. 
huge shout out to Xavier, Xavier Henderson. I mean, that dude, I feel so bad for him that he came back, got hurt. Kind of the same thing happened to Jaden Reed, only his injury was worse. Saw him out there running around with a massive leg brace on at Penn State, yelling at guys when coverage was breaking down. Like, true Spartan. Went through a lot of BS in his time. Like, I love Xavier Henderson. So, you know, huge, huge, huge shout out to him. Um, other guys this season, uh, I, dude, we need to recognize Kendall Brooks. Uh, yeah. Kendall Brooks went from depth guy to having a hundred, a hundred tackles this year. Yeah, a hundred tackles. Transfer. Uh, unbelievable production from him. Uh, and again, well, let me just finish here. Ben Van Sumeren, 73 tackles, fought back through injuries. Um, Maverick Hansen, Simeon Barrow playing a ton. Barrow probably more expected. Hansen, not as much. Uh, I want to shout out Avery Dunn. Like you talk about people that popped off the page. He finished with three sacks on the year, but he consistently down the stretch gave you kind of what you wanted to see out of some of these younger guys being like, okay, I'm playing, but I'm not just playing to fill time. I'm trying to win a job. So Avery Dunn, I think, deserves a lot of credit, as does Aaron Brule. Brule was jumping off the page left and right in the last handful of games. So shout out to them. Here's those first couple I said, though. The three, I, I, this is to me a perfect summation of this defense. Cal Halliday, Kendall Brooks, and Ben Van Samarin were your three leading tacklers. That's not good. Your fourth was a mere speed, a corner. That's not good. That is very emblematic of a personnel via injury and suspension problem that you have. Cal Halliday was not a starting linebacker to start this year. Kendall Brooks was also not a starting linebacker to start this year. Ben Van Samarin, I think, may have by name started, but should not have been a starter this year. And yet those three guys finish as your starting three tacklers. That's got to change. It just, it has to change moving forward. It has to be, <laughs> it has to be guys that are more qualified for the job physically. I'm I mean, again, shout out to those three. They played their butts off great depth players. If those guys are eighth, ninth and 10th on your defense and tackles, you have a hell of a defense, but if they're one, two and three, there are issues that you that you need to address. How about Jacob Slade? Um, I love Jacob Slade. I will miss him very, very much. Uh, he is hopefully going to be one of those guys that gets drafted in the NFL and immediately people are like, oh, like he'll be one of those guys that ends up with a good contract and people will say, who is this person? Right. And then when you ask the team who they are, it's like the guy who I think of is with the Rams, uh, their defensive tackle, Greg Gaines. You never hear about him because he's playing next to Aaron Donald. So yeah. why would you? But consistently when you hear when you, the, you hear interviews or whatever, they're all like, oh, man, we love Greg because he just eats blocks and makes plays where he needs to. I, I'm hoping that he can have a similar trajectory. little Naquan Jones for the Bills situation as well next to Ed Oliver. Just, love it. You might not know. Unless you're a Bills fan, but he he gets the job done. Yeah, I think there's some good takeaways. I think it's always good that even in a down year, you're going to be producing NFL players um, mm -hmm. that you can sell that. That's great. And um, we'll be tracking that because, Austin, I know the after the transfer portal, the NFL draft might be um, your favorite thing in the world. The, the NFL draft might be my favorite sport. For being for being very candid, it might be my favorite sport. Well, you, I think the reason you love 
because I we know that about you, the transfer portal is on the same level because it's for, it's basically the draft for every team in college. Like you yeah. are drafting players. And I really just like the trend. Maybe it's just like the transition from one level yes. to another and projecting uh-huh. guys out is like oh, yeah. my favorite thing in the world. And it's a sickness developed by a lifetime of Lions fandom. That's all it is. Um, and oh, yeah, I, I enjoy out. both. I, so here's an interesting, interesting thing to think about as we kind of wrap up this, this exhumation of this body. Um, and I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on it, John. So I would expect just again, kind of candidly based on the last two years of seeing what we've done and the, tra- the transfer portal has brought, I'm expecting 10 to 12 additions in all transparency, in all honesty. Like, I, I don't think the turnover here is going to be small. So with those, t- you know, call it 10, we'll, we'll say 10. So you have 10 spots. I'm curious if you have any position groups, we kind of briefly talked about quarterback position groups that you would want to see Michigan State prioritize or that you think are like desperate needs for them. Mm. Putting you on the spot here. Fortunately, there's a lot of them. (laughs) I mean, they they just did not compete at the highest level. We watched them play three teams that are in the top 10, I believe, Michigan, Ohio State and Penn State and get outclassed when you looked at across the line and saw like guys that performing above the level of, of, of your team. And I think the hard part is this is going to, this is going to be a tough thing to say. Cal Halliday is a really, really good college football player. And I don't like the idea of him defending Brock Bowers. No, but, but that's the standard like that. Yeah. And, and no one can defend him. So like, Let's not get it confused. But but the point is, when your best defensive player or most consistent is not able to compete athletically with the best athletes in the sport, you have a problem. You have a big problem. So there are you need an influx of talent in a lot of places. Um, but but most specifically. The secondary things just got to stop. It's got to stop. It's there's no like. There is ample opportunity for anyone to come in and play. I don't know what the solve is, though, because you've got guy seemingly the answers, quote unquote, because you're not going to get a lot of better guys unless you are going downward, you know, and you find folks at, at the at the group five or, you know even FCS level that just are looking to, to up their competition level. That's where you're at. And you find Kendall Brooks, right? Another Mm -hmm. three of them. And even that, I don't know if it's good enough to compete at the level we want it to. So it's, you're putting me on the spot and I'm talking in circles. I don't know if there's a position group that is, I think, I think you could, you can add talent at all of them truly. And, Mm -hmm. and you, to and you need to um what do you think yeah i mean that's i think you kind of you kind of hit the nail on the head that i don't think there's really a group that should be excluded quarter including quarterback that should be excluded from msu just trying to acquire 
talent kind of period full stop if they're going to prioritize positions i think uh the offense this is not really that different from last year right. um the offensive line you'll never you should never turn down uh, good players there um and then kind of that back seven uh it'll be interesting to see what jacoby winman who was reinstated earlier this week along with several other players from that suspension um, what he decides to do, his return would be would be pretty big, although we've seen him kind of perform better on the edge. Um, Chris Bogle being healthy will be really big. So there are some guys that were injured or suspended that naturally should improve just the overall talent base. Um, however, I, I think if I had to have him prioritize something, it would it would probably 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 uh, be that secondary. Uh, or to add another really explosive skill position player. Um, mm. As much as I love Keon Coleman, I think Jeremy Bernard could end up being uh, quite good. And I know there's a handful of other guys down that line, but um, adding the, there's no such thing as, as too many explosive options on offense. Um, but in all reality, you can add talent. And I, I do think just a genuine influx of that talent in the secondary plus kind of the young guys we saw last year's, you know, recruiting class had a lot of secondary focus in it, as mm -hmm. did the, as did that it also had one on the offensive line. So hopefully just like the sheer maturing of these players should help in both of those areas. They should not turn away anybody that can contribute in all of that. Now, all of that being said, especially on defense. It can only do so much because you can put the best players into a scheme. And if the scheme is shit, it's not gonna work. And I think what we've seen, at least through the first half of this year, up until kind of the Michigan game, is the scheme was shit and it didn't matter. And all the guys were healthy and, and nothing changed uh, because there were 10 yards of cushion being given every single time. Finally, down the stretch, I think you saw Scotty Hazleton start to actually blitz and we saw it work, but it could only work so much because now you'd started to change things as soon as all of your best players were gone. You know, so, awesome. so what's the point? So here's here's how I after a beat, having a beat to think about it. Here's why I couldn't answer the question, because I don't know what the identity of a Mel Tucker team is. Mm -hmm. I don't know. And what that's not good. That's not I don't know good. what they do. I don't know. I, I, I don't care what it is but you need to figure out what your identity is and then get the talent to do it. I don't know what they are. And my answer of just get more talent, that's not an identity either. And that's why I couldn't answer the question. I don't know what Mel Tucker wants to do. I don't know what type of team he wants to make. If he wants to recreate Alabama and listen, Nick Saban started at, didn't just do be like make the machine and then grow the machine from 2007 on. He got really good at a couple things and then got really good at the other things later. You got to get really good at a couple things and create an identity for who you are and how you're going to win games. Um, or, and, and, and I think the example is like a t Tom Izzo, they have, that program has an identity. You know what he wants to do. And he gets guys to try and do those things, right? He wants to rebound the ball. He wants to run up and down. Michigan football has an identity. Ohio State football thought they had an identity and then kind of <laughs> threw it away. You know what I mean? Wisconsin has an identity, whether it's good enough or not, we can debate. But the identity, 
what are you? Because right now you're not good enough to just roll the balls out and win with talent. And just getting more talent doesn't mean necessarily you're going to win because what are you going to do with them? So if I understand better what the plan is, because we watched Hazleton, you know, and we made all the, you know, whether you call them excuses or explanations, I don't know. You know, like, well, they give cushions because they don't have enough talent. Okay, but what do you want to do? Like, what if you had the talent you wanted, what is your identity, Scotty Hazleton? You know, Jay Johnson, if you had what you wanted, what is your identity? Do you want to run the ball, you know, 30 times a game? Do you want to spread it out and pass it? Do you want to mix it in and do both and you're a play action team? Like, what is it? I don't know. So until I that, I I, I guess I just have to sit here and say, well, I hope they get more talented guys and we find out next year what what the identity is. Right. Yeah. And it's you're absolutely right. It's a very, very good point. And. That is one thing. See, see, you just nailed why Mark Antonio worked. Mm-hmm. He worked because they had a framework they worked within. It was not chock full of the biggest and best athletes, but it was a style, especially defensively, where they dictated action. They were able to capitalize on, much like Tom Izzo does sometimes, Potentially not really not having the same level of talent as as the best teams, but schematically they did mm-hmm. something that made those teams uncomfortable and they knew day in and day out, game in and game out, this is how we're going to play. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work, but this is what we're going to do. And yes, that can be stubborn. We've, we saw it blow up in their faces a couple of times when they played great quarterbacks, but in all of those other games, it didn't. Look at Illinois football this year. They said, we are going to do what we are going to do. We are going to make Chase Brown's knees explode. But that's that's our whole deal. That's what we're doing. Like you said, Wisconsin, Michigan State doesn't have any of that right now. And they did a year ago. Yep. And they they don't. And so this is – and that is all of these things we're talking about are why this is such a I, – I, this is a pivotal moment, a pivotal, pivotal moment this entire offseason – in the Mel Tucker era, because if he gets this wrong, then again, I think all questions right now are, are fair questions because you are what your record says you are. And that's unacceptable. Uh, and on top of that, you just didn't see acceptable levels of football from this team. No execution, no nothing. It's not like they went out and played their style and it you know ran into a bunch of buzzsaws. Yes, they played a tough schedule, but tough shit. You're in the Big Ten. Um, they just weren't up to the caliber they needed to be. And if you're not able to establish some type of identity or have something to cling to as a program, then if you get it wrong this year, I I don't know. It's going to be a very tall hill to climb because if you screw it up again, I don't know if those same recruits are coming to play that were in last year's class and it looks like are in this year's class. 2024 is off to a great start. Those guys have a two years until they step on campus like you know they can make they could change their mind tomorrow so if you want to keep this momentum going because on the recruiting trail to give them the credit they deserve things are going well it's not like things are going really poorly the guys they've lost from the class are some of the lower caliber dudes that they have 2024 class is off to an incredible start lots of huge names in there but that's that can all go away that can all go away if they don't see what they want to see on the field and that is all in your hands Mel Tucker. So again, maybe to put a final bow on here, 
those are the stakes this off season. And so you, I wouldn't be shocked to see some action here in the near future because that you got to, got to believe you got to hope that if we know that mm-hmm. he definitely knows that. That's right. Let's take a commercial break. Let's go around the nation and then we'll finish it off with some hoops. Deal. Three, two, one. We're back and we're not talking about Michigan state anymore. Woo. I think one of my favorite Thanksgiving traditions, and it's very underrated, is the Egg Bowl. Mm. I think Mississippi, Mississippi State, I refuse to call them Ole Miss, by the way, feels racist. Just feels it racist. does. Do you think it why. feels that way because their their logo was a literal Southern Colonel until like last year? I think that's a huge part of it, yes. I think that was a very big part of it. Uh, General Lee is like your mascot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not cool. I even, I won't, I refuse to even like write Ole Miss. I like write Mississippi. I don't know who I'm pissing off with that, but I like to think someone's mad. I, I, I love this rivalry as we've talked about, if you're a longtime listener, socioeconomic rivalry. Uh, it, it's, it's old money versus you know working class it's just a hell hell of a game and it never matters and that's even and that's why i think college football is great is because like this game matters to them that state you know and they talk about it all year long but it didn't really matter in the scheme of or or, and it never has and probably never will uh so but it's still one year one year and one year only was the dak prescott oh yes year so you even then that crystallizes it very well that it's really just one year yeah it wasn't even like was it did it it felt like it might have mattered and it didn't anyway in this game uh it was pouring rain and a lot of msu fans are probably tuned in because waiting for an alabama michigan state basketball tip-off if i recall correctly so if pouring rain perfect scenario uh i i just knew everyone who was an egg bowl fan knew that this game was going to get was not over even though mississippi state had the ball up one or eight on mississippi's one yard line uh with under five minutes to go and we all knew what happened and it happened mississippi state fumbles the ball mississippi goes 99 yards scores and then fails the two-point conversion because they are losers and losers lose but it was a hell of a game. Um, th- stuff thrown on the field, chairs thrown on the field, just absolute chaos. Mississippi State players running to the Ole Miss student section after the game. It's just everything you love to see about college yeah. football, just out of control. And Mike Leach is involved. Talking about Thanksgiving dinner after the biggest you know, win that they can imagine. Also, I need Mississippi fans to just like pipe it down seven notches because they're out here saying they want lane kiffin gone and buddy lane kiffin's the best coach you've ever had period (laughs) i'm serious find me a better coach they don't win shit either of these schools never win you you think that because they're associated with the sec you have you're like oh no they win something no they don't like mississippi won i think double digits for like the first time in how long last year they won nine games this year, and they want to run Lane Kiffin because he's not focused. 
yeah, he's not focused because you're Mississippi. You guys suck. <laughs> he's got his eye on the prize somewhere else because this is a stepping stone. So you just enjoy it. Don't run him off. Yeah. All right, that's my Egg Bowl talk. I love it. I love it. I can't add anything. 10 out of 10. Um, another fun one, North Carolina at NC State. Another kind of socioeconomic rivalry. I want to say your boy Drake May, who we sadly found out was Luke May's little brother. I think that bumped. Yes. That was that was a real blow to yeah. my um, fandom. Yeah. However, he's still sweet. He did sort of choke this game away. And I, I'm, I do not know how. Oh, by the way, we also had another little brother. I'm pretty sure Ben Finley is. Uh, oh, yeah. Ryan Finley's younger brother. It has to well. be. I think that one. Yeah, that's there's just too many things aligning for that not to be the case. But I, I this the, yeah, this was a very like North Carolina way to end the season. Mm-hmm. You know, explosive offense. But Drake, dude, I will tell you though, Drake May is still regrettably Luke's brother, but a dude. He made he missed some throws in this game, but man, he made some some plays getting out of the pocket and delivering some gorgeous balls. Um, his tight end let him down on a, a drop touchdown pass, uh, I think at the very end of one of the overtimes. And um, then unfortunately their kicker, college kickered it pretty hard and just shanked uh, uh, what should have been a re- relatively easy field goal. But I think we know better than anybody, no field goals are given. Um, but yeah, UNC, uh, future's bright for for Drake May. So, but, uh, but yeah, credit to NC State, man. They lost... It came in with some high hopes, and it was never really all that smooth for them. And yet they managed to 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 gut out a tough win. Especially sweet for the Wolfpack fans because they hear all the time about they're the stupid ones, you know. And Drake May at the beginning of the year, unprompted, said, you know, whether you wanted to admit it or not, growing up in North Carolina, you're going to be a Carolina fan. Some people may say state, but really, people who go to state just can't get into Carolina. And oh God, Drake, you are really killing my fandom because that's the most Michigan thing I it could is. ever imagine. It is. And that so sucks. it's like, just shut up, dude. Like, just please stop speaking. Man. You know? Anyway. Se- separate the art from the artist. <laughs> hard to do sometimes. Very hard to do after hearing that. Uh Tulane beat Cincinnati. Relevant because Two coaches here of these programs are headed to uh, different programs after this game, I think. Cincinnati, uh, Luke Fickle headed to Wisconsin. We'll get to that in a minute. And Tulane, I think Willie Fritz um, going to be in line for a lot of jobs uh, here in the f- near future. Um, I'm pretty sure he, he got hired somewhere. I don't remember where. Georgia Tech's closing in. As, mm, as they would one. like to say, or or I like the other phrase is like is zeroing in on or is focused on. Which focused on. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't mean it's done deal, but that's where their their heads at. I it's think it's very woge of you to use that term. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, not uh, the resounding. I'm pretty sure Cincinnati lost that game. Not the resounding way that uh, uh, Luke probably wanted to go out, but. Eh. Um, Good for the green wave, man. I I, I, I I love I love Tulane. Just a cool vibe all around. Absolutely. Great, great uh, logo. Everyone's favorite. <sighs> Tremendous logo. Speaking of Georgia Tech, they scored first on Georgia and were up sure in the second quarter. And that 
plus 36.5 delivered sweetly. Yes. Uh, Georgia, you know, figured it out. Uh, we all knew it would happen, 137 to 14. But um, Georgia Tech is just, everyone, I think, is right when they call it a sleeping giant. Mm-hmm. It's in Atlanta. It's in SEC country. Yes, you are going up against a lot of huge programs, but you also are in Georgia. Yeah. Like, there's so much talent there, right? And you don't have to play in the SEC. That has to be really appealing from a coaching perspective. I mean, I've been saying that for how long? I know. Georgia Tech, Georgia Tech is a decent head coach away from – they should be an ACC power. I mean, we talk about Georgia three stars all the time. Yeah. Georgia Tech's entire roster should be Georgia three stars. Like, there's no, there's no reason. It's in Atlanta. It's a good school, so I think there are some academic <laughs> angles. Don't but still. Do doesn't not matter, care. man. Doesn't matter, So is Miami. I, Miami's a good school. They don't care. Yeah, uh, I w- I want to say one thing mm-hmm. about Georgia. They've gotten off to some slow starts of late. Yep. And I am officially willing to say there's 1% of me that's now nervous uh-huh. about Georgia. Uh-huh. Because Fair. they didn't really take Kentucky all that seriously. You know, you managed to, to, you know, blow Mississippi State out, but that was a 17-12 game at halftime. Yep. Um, and then Georgia Tech, you know, they, they listen, it, it wasn't, they ran away from them in the second half. They outscored yeah. them. It, Jimmy's and Jess. Yeah, yeah, it was 27-7 to in the second half, but that was a 10-7 game yep. going into halftime. Yep. That is that is worrisome. If I'm a Georgia fan, I'm not feeling nearly as invincible as I am as I did after beating Tennessee. And if I call a spade a spade here, if you look up and down their schedule this year, Tennessee aside, mm-hmm. the only standout win is that first week win against Oregon, and that's that a good win. fun win. It was that's- a fun, phenomenal win. Phenomenal win. But it's not this rock solid SEC slate that you kind of come to expect from from an SEC champion. Um, and now they're playing LSU, who's clearly a good team, but just went on the road and lost at A and M, which we can talk about. But you know, uh, I, uh, I, 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 uh, their defense is still the real, 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 real deal. They haven't given up twenty point more than twenty points since they played Missouri. But again, that was a close game back in Week Five. Um, they're not as invincible as I think they they once may have been. They're still good, but they're not invincible. This is as open of a college football playoff race than I can remember. I hate it. It I mean it's just it is. So if it was if 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 the team we we're beating around the bush not talking about here wasn't in it, I'd love it. And instead, it makes me it's going to keep me up at night. I, I can make a case for all the remaining teams, but I think at the end of the day, Georgia will repeat, but it will not be as this Georgia team would lose to last year's Georgia team. Yes, I think that is fair. Uh, Right. Uh, Speaking of, well, because you mentioned Texas A&M and LSU, Jimbo fever, uh, Mm. pick him. That $85 million check just got placed back on the counter. It's been written. (laughs) It's just not been sent in. After this win, um, 
still on the hot seat. Don't get me wrong. But beating a top five team at home by 15 is good. I got to say, Texas A&M home schedule was absolutely insanity. They play Appalachian State, which we know was a loss. They played Miami, Arkansas, which was a t- both were top 15 teams at the time. Then they played three straight away games for some reason, all conference away games. Then they hosted top 15 Ole Miss, Florida, and then UMass, who they barely beat, and then top five LSU. They played one, two, three, four top 15 home games this year at the time of the game. That's crazy. That is crazy. That's also like in the SEC. You wanted to go do it. Here you go. Yeah. yeah, Uh, yeah. The best news for Texas A&M, and I'm probably cursing him by saying this, is that they found their quarterback. Uh, Connor Wiegman, five-star freshman, true freshman, uh, finally got the job five weeks ago. And since then, he's thrown for basically 900 yards, eight touchdowns, and most importantly, zero interceptions. It'll be interesting to see if he's able to keep that up when Devin Achain goes pro because their running back is extremely good. Ran for 215 yards in this one on 38 carries. Eclipsed the 1,000-yard mark. Um, I know they have guys behind him, so it's not as big a deal, but that's still a very, it's a, it's a very Peyton Thornish place to find yourself in. Um, but yeah, I think that alone, and also Moose Muhammad, Mushin Muhammad's son, Michigan State alum, had a sick catch in this game. Uh, and it really finished the season strong. He made an absurd one-handed grab in the end zone. Like, like didn't cradle it, didn't just kind of like caught it in his hand and left his hand where it was. It was, it was some, some baller shit. Um, so yeah, uh, super concerning if you're LSU, um, Brian Kelly still, I think deserves credit for, for a nine win season here. Yep. Um, but yeah, the offense kind of just sputtered out. Jaden Daniels didn't, didn't do a lot. And again, they gave up 215 yards on the ground to a chain that to me going into a matchup with Georgia would be the most worrisome part of this whole thing. Um, Another worrisome situation is what's happening in Clemson, South Carolina. So they mm-hmm. drop uh, a game to the Gamecocks, a resurgent Gamecocks. Shane Beamer has got this Whoa. train moving in the right direction. They've got a nice recruiting class. He's been getting guys. They finally beat you know, Clemson. And Clemson is kind of doing a looking in the mirror and saying, you know, they could still win the ACC, but that ACC championship game has lost a lot of luster. Yeah, I mean, this is <laughs> this is a very like uh, the I don't feel bad for Clemson is really all I'll say. <laughs> Nobody. Uh, I mean, this is back to back years where their fans are disappointed, and they're still going to have ten wins both years. You know, okay, sorry. Um, yeah, they're not going to make the playoff, which I know is the is the standard there, deservedly so. But I heard, I think the interesting part is that Dabo, Dabo is starting to get a little testy with the media, mm-hmm. which I find hysterical. Yep. Um, he said something like, well, if we don't make the playoff and that's a failure, he's like, that's just ridiculous or something to that effect, where it's like, mm-hmm. is it when you've built this whole thing? I think I saw uh, EDSBS on Twitter say something where it's like, Yes, he's finally reached the big old mansion on the top of the hill part of his uh, coaching 
coaching uh, life cycle. So, yeah, Clemson, definitely worrisome. Uh, I don't know what you're going to do with DJU because he's not leaving and he's coming no, back I- and he looked real bad in this game. So, uh, and, and yeah, credit to Shane Beamer, man, finishing the year with two wins over two top 10 teams. Yep. Uh, it's pretty darn good. Uh, a couple of rivalry games I want to touch on. Uh, Washington beat Washington State 51 to 33. Michael Penix Jr. with almost 500 yards passing and three touchdowns. Jeez. This guy needs to go pro because I don't Please. want to see him in East Lansing next year. I am begging you, Michael. <laughs> Please go for it. He's nothing left to prove, quite honestly. Like he'd be I, crazy to pass up this shot at the NFL. Has to. He's be been hurt too many times. Too, exactly. Uh, Oregon State. I think that's an uh, beat Oregon thirty-eight to thirty-four. I think Jonathan Davis. I believe is, is that his name? Jonathan Smith. Smith. Do not I'm take sorry. that away from us. My Jonathan bad. Smith. The Smith clan. Jonathan Smith. He's got a job anywhere he wants. You went nine yeah. and three with Oregon State and beat Oregon. That is. That is. To me, one of the biggest stories in college football that no one's talked about. Yeah, twenty-one to three, outscoring Oregon in the in the fourth quarter, beating Oregon with your quarterback completing six passes for sixty yards and two interceptions. Awesome. You awesome. deserve a lifelong, uh, a lifelong contract. It is funny. This is one of those games. If you look at the win probability, Oregon <laughs> at about midway through the third quarter was at 98.3% oh win percentage. <laughs> and then it goes all the way down. I mean, Oregon didn't even learn, lose the turn. I don't know how this happened. They didn't even lose the turnover battle. Oregon State had three turnovers and Oregon had none. I don't, yeah, whatever. That's awesome. That's an extremely college football game. So I love that. Um. Our other couple quarterback updates, uh, Bryce Young maintains QB1 status for the NFL yep. draft with his 49-27 uh, victory and 343 yards and three touchdowns against Auburn in the Iron Bowl. Um, got it done before halftime, basically. And um, a failure of a year for Alabama still means 10 wins. So It's annoying, uh, but true. Yeah, life. You're about, the other guy, Caleb Williams, strikes a high pose after his uh, – win over Notre Dame 38 to 27 and shame on me you're talking too much trash about the glitziness of the Trojans not being um maybe up to the playoff snuff but I I think they've showed us if you just keep scoring it's all that matters I mean that's and that's what they're gonna do um their offense is gonna be able to score on just about anybody I think the interesting matchup would be you know if they're going up against Georgia, which is probably how things would shake out if they and TCU, who also is undefe- finished an undefeated regular season, um, it's probably how it would shake out. I will be glued to that game. It would be a fascinating, fascinating game to watch. Here's the issue. The issue with USC, and, and I don't know, this this might not matter as much against a Georgia team that's not as high power through the year. Their defense is still not very good. Um, Drew Pine had three incompletions in this game threw for over 300 yards. I think for the first time this season, three touchdowns, uh, Michael Meyer had eight catches for 98 yards and two touchdowns. Do you, do you think Brock Bowers will be able to do something similar? <laughs> I do. Um, so USC's got a playoff worthy offense. I mean, their only losses by what one, I think on the road yep. to Utah, um, yep. They should be in there. I know they've got a, a, a Pac-12, Pac-10, whatever, Pac-100 uh, game 
coming up here. Uh, and it is against Utah. So they win that one. They, they have to be in. They have to. I mean, they're definitely in. So, and Caleb Williams should win the Heisman. He should win the period. End of story. I've, I think everybody that watched just Sunday, the other game that we're about to talk about, and then this game, those were your two guys in Stroud and Williams. Yep. I think Williams' numbers aren't even necessarily as impressive off the paper, but it's a, it's the, the level of execution and confidence just pales in comparison to, to what we saw from C.J. Stroud. Absolutely. Um, court, uninspiring quarterback play. Let's go to the Big Ten quickly. Uh, Nebraska beat Iowa 24-17. to 17. All Iowa had to do was win this game and go to the Big Ten championship to beat a 3-8 three, three and eight Nebraska team, and they couldn't do it. They didn't even score in the first half, actually, um, at home. You, listen, you could always be Iowa. We could there's, always be Iowa. There, there's something that is just like I was cackling, laughing, thinking about how they were down in this in this game, you know, 10 to nothing at the end of the first. And then they have the tradition of waving to the, the cancer kids, you know, mm-hmm. and so they're all waving and i just like to think there was just so many like still drunk fuming iowa fans about being down 10 nothing at home waving to the cancer kids and just being like i hate this team i hate these guys i hate being here i hate all of this and like in this really nice moment just like swearing under their breath (laughs) i think it'd be really funny if those kids were giving the middle finger back to the players (laughs) should have it was bad um Quickly, Maryland beat Rutgers 37 to nothing. Rutgers quit on the season, which was kind of shocking to me. Um, Illinois beat Northwestern 41 to three, completing the one and 11 season for the Wildcats. Uh, Northwestern 0 and 11 domestically. That's true. Undefeated internationally. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the uh, Raise the banner. Oh my God, I want to see that banner so bad. Undefeated in Europe. <laughs> Minnesota. <laughs> Uh, beats Wisconsin 23 to 16, uh, ending. Well, I guess Wisconsin still has to play a bowl game, but um, hold on, I have to go back to this Northwestern you game. Can't stop. This is one of this is the worst football team of all. It's time. so bad, dude. Their quarterback Cole Freeman, who's at their quarterbacks, they played three different people. Malik Washington's a wide receiver. He must have run the thrown a pass. They went 17 for 31. Okay. 167 yards, zero touchdowns, five interceptions. <laughs> that is hysterical. And I think the worst part of this whole game, and then we can talk about others, is that they kicked a field goal down 34 to nothing awesome. in the fourth quarter. Yeah, Six dude. turnovers. Get on the oh. board. Oh, Get on just, the board. Everything about it. That's just... Oh God, that is some good shit. Uh, sorry, you're moving on. No, it's it's the worst Big Ten since the the Chris Ash Rutgers era. I mean, this is the worst. I think this this is this is as as it's bad. as bad they're, or worse. Their yeah. quarterbacks combined for ten touchdowns and seventeen picks this year. That's better as than a, I would have thought. Yeah, it is actually. It's as a team, they ran for fifteen hundred yards. I mean, they, they, I need to look at like the, how they, let's see, here we go. Team average 13.8 points a game. Um, what else do we got here? 
it's pretty it's pretty sad. I'm going to look at how they stack up against the rest of the Big Ten because it's just so damn funny. But go ahead, we can we can move forward. Uh, mentioned Minnesota. Oh, oh go ahead. There. 165 points scored on the uh, on the year. Oh. 104, 104 points scored in conference. That's across nine games. Come on, man. <laughs> Gave up 340 points. That's actually not as many as you would have thought. Um, oh, that's some good shit. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. Purdue beat Indiana 30-16 to 16 and goes to the Big Ten Championship. Sure. I'm pumped for you guys. Um, I think it would be maybe the funniest thing ever if they won the Big Ten Championship. Yes. The fact that you could say Purdue won the Big Ten Football Championship and went to like the Music City Bowl afterward <laughs> is the, is a real thing. Now, That's awesome. Happen, but it is very funny to me. Uh, but quickly, the upcoming games um, will help determine the college football playoff. Austin, mm-hmm. Utah versus USC. USC is a three-point favorite. Who do you got? I'll take USC, but I don't do so very comfortably. Um, Utah got them. Yeah, Utah got them once this year. I'm not as confident in USC as I maybe should be. Uh, It is in Vegas. That's kind of cool. So, well, we know the Utah people will be sober, so maybe they have an edge there. Not Uh, true. That is not true. Utah Utes fans are wild. You're confusing okay. BYU. I apologize to all of our Utah listeners out there. Uh, get as drunk as possible. Um, I'll still take USC because I just think Caleb Williams is the difference maker, yeah. but uh, that's a tight one. It'll be a great game, I think. 43-42 last time or something crazy. So yeah. fun. Kansas State, TCU. TCU a two-and-a-half point favorite. They they beat the hell out of Iowa State. The dream season keeps going. What do you think? I think I think even if they lose, they're going to be in. Oh. Um, okay. I think they'll win this game. Mm-hmm. I don't think it'll be by a ton. I, Kansas State's good. Um, weird purple on purple matchup too. We don't get a lot of those. Uh, but TCU, I think even if they lose, all that would happen is they would drop down from three where I would imagine they are now mm-hmm. down to four. And that's mostly because I don't, as we finish, I talk about these other games. I, I don't know who else jumps in there. If, if it, let's say USC and TCU both lose, one of them's got to get knocked out. But like, is it a, is it Ohio state? Is it a two loss Bama? Like truly, I, I don't know who that team is that, that gets in, um, which is why, even if if USC and TCU if TCU loses, I, I don't know that anybody after just how bad Ohio State looked at the second half of last week's game, I don't know if anybody puts them in over a, a one loss TCU. Ohio State, yeah, it's right there. I think that's that's it. Like you, but it's it, right? Yeah, two loss Bama. I mean, that would be very funny to me if they put two loss Bama in. I think I don't even want to talk about that's just that makes me sad. Like, no, it would be very funny. It would be very funny. Admit it. Deeply funny, but also not not appropriate. I (laughs) agree. But very funny. Georgia, a 17 and a half point favorite against LSU. Let's see if Georgia is a 
is the championship caliber team we think they are. If they cover yeah. 17 and a half in the SEC championship against LSU, you have my attention again. This is the game they lost last year. Mm-hmm. They lost this game to Georgia, to Alabama last year. So they yeah. weren't even technically SEC champions, right? Right. So they probably want to go win this one. I would expect them to come out and handle business. LSU is going to be pissed off. But like you said, this game's in Atlanta. Like this is Georgia. This is you're right. If they lose this game. They're still in no matter what. All that happens is probably Michigan gets bumped up to the number one seed, which is insane. But um, then you get a little I think you can start asking some questions, but uh, I would I think they're going to handle business i don't know if they 17 and a half is a lot of points but i think they they're gonna handle business uh unc clemson this game no longer really matters uh, unfortunately but you wanted to watch josh downs so have, have a chance to do that i want to watch josh downs and and drake may less now than before we started recording but um i want Dabo to go into full spiral freak out mode so i really want north carolina to win um, that can happen. And then finally, uh, Michigan takes on Purdue, uh, Michigan, a 16 point favorite. I would say hammer that, but here's, I'm going to hold that thought. We did, I really believe that you're going to have a really loose Purdue team and they're going to do the things with much worse players. The same offense Ohio state should have been running in their game, a loose wide open, get it to your best athletes. Yeah. offense and i think it's going to get a little funky in the first quarter michigan's going to win Doesn't yeah win. but i think purdue is going to show what ohio state should have been doing for four quarters mm-hmm. i think it's totally fair uh let's take a break and jump to the basketball because we're running long are we not going to talk about michigan ohio state at all it we can have at it very very briefly we'll do it very briefly we are running we're at 116 right now so we got to wrap it up but uh, i hate that i'm making time to do this but Mm. i have to say i am more i don't know what i'm more shocked by Mm. that michigan was the more like composed and explosive offense in the second half or that ohio state looked so shell-shocked by what was going on. Uh, I, I, it raised so many questions for me. It raised questions about Ryan Day. It raises questions, which is insane because he's lost two games in the Big Ten, but those two games he's lost are two Michigan teams the last two years. It raises huge questions for me about C.J. Stroud if I'm an NFL drafter because he just didn't answer questions well after the game, the terrible body language throughout the game, um, and just didn't look like a leader, which is what you want when you draft a quarterback in the top five. Uh, again, you know, I don't know him off the field, but just based on that, um, and and I, I can't believe it, but it's like it's Michigan's conference right now, and it sucks. And I think they, I don't think they'll, I, I hope they won't win the national championship. But there's, I, as I look at it, I only really think there's one team standing in their way. Two, USC, um, which is why I'm kind of hoping USC gets up to the three seed. Um, I think it's going to give Michigan a ton of trouble offensively, but I don't know that they can slow down whoever's running the ball. Um, and then Georgia, but it, Michigan just, I, I hate that I have to give them credit, but like for all those close calls they had early in the season, they saved it all up for this game, went on the road and without their best player in Blake Corum 
and, and just I, I can't believe how many explosive plays they hit in the second half. But you know, credit where it's due. I hate it. I hate everything about it. But um, too big of a game for us to not at least touch on a little bit. Yeah. No, great call. Uh, I think I was saving it, and then I I chose to didn't want to talk about it. I understand. All right. Um, quick, quick commercial break, but, and let's talk hoops and wrap it up. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Three, two, one. Then we're back. Basketball. Shooty hoops. Let's go. Speed round. PK 85 happened. Michigan State goes, wins two out of three. All things considered, I learned nothing about this team. Uh, they and, and not like in a negative way. They played without Malik Hall and Jaden Akins. This is not the team you will see in March. Um, but you did see growth from specific people, regression from others. And the Alabama loss was probably a schedule loss, you know, considering the talent they had. Um, Joey Hauser doesn't like playing in those types of games. They lost 70 to 81. Um, it's hard to win that one. You know, yeah. they have it just was always going to be a tough out. And um, especially when they came out uninspired, especially uninspired point guard play. A.J. Hogard had a tough game. Um, it got so funky that uh, there was a lineup in the first half of Walker, Holloman, Jason Wittens, Kohler, and Cooper. And they did outscore Alabama while playing together, which was I, Nate Oates was like, I don't I didn't even scout a couple of those guys. Like, I don't I don't even know what to say. <laughs> um, so good on the bench. Truly, you knew that in PK 85, Tom was going to have to play some guys just to get through three games in four days. So um, they did. And shout out to our boy, Jason Wittens. He, uh, a couple, I got a couple notes uh, from folks asking who he is, so I'm just going to quickly give some some background. This is, and I'm not exaggerating, maybe the best basketball player to come from the UP in a very, very long time. He's one of the first to get a Division I scholarship where he went to Western um, since, I believe, Bobby Knight got a kid from Iron Dickinson back in the 80s. He's a seven-footer. And also, Bobby Knight wanted to go hunting up there, and that was one of the reasons he was recruiting him so often. And that's a true story, and it's not a joke. Yeah. Uh, this, this kid is an absolute stud, both football and basketball. And in the time they needed him, you know, because they're down so many players, he came in and, and not only um, held his own, he contributed in the Portland win. And I, and I tweeted, I think he was the reason they won. Um, so... If you have time, check out his football highlights where he set state records at the eight-man football record because he's just running over and around and through all these eight-man football teams. It's very funny to watch. And he's an absolute athlete. He didn't look out of place against a team like Portland. He may look out of place against a team like Alabama. But, you know, shout out to him. Um, I'm really stepping up. Yeah, and I, obviously the things that I learned from this weekend were that um, Michigan State won two out of three. That's all. That's all we really wanted. They went two and one. I don't think either of the wins were by the margins we would have have hoped to see. But um, I, like you said about about the lost Alabama, you can't be mad about that. Brandon Miller, stud. That kid is a stud. He is going to be a top. Call it. 10 to 15 pick at the worst, maybe even higher than that. And you saw why um, Michigan state 
again, I've been critical of Malik Hall here. You're not going to win a game like that without a guy like Malik Hall and Jaden Akins playing. Yep. Um, Oregon and Portland, you know, Oregon was down to six scholarship players. I think it was, uh, and Michigan managed, Michigan state managed to, to power through and win that one. Joey Hauser played a nice game, 18 and 10 made four threes. Um, you know, again, you just kind of take it as a a win is a win. Same thing with Portland, Portland playing a home game. We saw them fight really hard against uh, a handful of other teams, including North Carolina. Um, you know, so listen, they beat Villanova, so that log that win doesn't look as great. But uh, it, this is clearly not the you know uh, pushover team, especially you're playing them literally on their home court. You, you're for all intents and purposes played two road games. You played against Oregon, who's the host you know mm-hmm. town, and then Portland, who's literally the host one of the host courts. Um, credit to MSU, they won those games. This was never going to be a deep team, and they managed to get it done without those guys. That being said, well, actually, I'm going to pick my favorite player that I saw from the weekend, especially in the last game, was uh, I was very happy to see Pierre Brooks kind of let it rip. Didn't play well against Alabama, didn't necessarily shoot the three well against Oregon, but certainly isn't shy. And this guy, to me, again, on a team that doesn't have a lot of depth, is going to be extremely important down the stretch because you need microwave guys like him and Aikens coming off the bench uh, that can provide more than just warm bodies. Credit to Jason Wittens. He, he played some very important minutes, but those aren't, you need more than that off your bench. And Brooks is probably the main guy aside from Aikens that can actually do that scoring. He was hugely critical uh, in the game against Portland, putting up, he made, he made, what was it? He made four, all four of his threes scored 15 points. That's huge. Uh, I also was happy to see Tyson Walker kind of just cement himself as a, the go-to guy on offense. He's averaging 16 points a game. I think we're seeing a little bit more out of Tyson that we wanted to see last year, this year, which is which is really exciting. His scoring has almost doubled from, from uh, it looks like a year ago. No, wait, I might just be reading that wrong. Um, yeah, it has. You're not. He's he's okay. averaging 16, almost 16 a game. He had over 18 in this three-game tournament. Uh, he stepped up and, and scored the points that you lost from Malik Hall and, and Jaden Akins and, because they weren't going to be filled in by by too many others that were filling those minutes. So yeah, he took it upon himself. There's still a lot of room to improve. For me, my big takeaway was this team needs to find a way to motivate itself to get excited, as excited as maybe even the fans are to watch them. I mean, people are excited about this team because they because they compete. And then in this tournament, it felt like they were not competing at the highest level they could. They didn't come and they were not tougher than Oregon. They were not tougher than Portland. They were more talented than, than them both. And and you if you play a season out like that, dude, you're just gonna beat the teams that are your more talented than and lose to the ones that are less talented than. And that's it. And then you're gonna go be an eight or nine seed, maybe, you know, sneak into the tournament and lose. And that's it. And then there's no reason to believe that this group plus a bunch of really talented freshmen can win a national championship. There's none. For me, I need to see these guys be tougher than the teams that they play. Even if the teams that they play are better than them, they should be more excited to be there. They should they should be what we saw against Kentucky because we know it's there. And until then, um, 
it's just going to be a ho-hum season. I hate to be a wet blanket about it because they did win two out of the three, but it it wasn't a a yucky two out of three. And so now you have a chance to play your first road game at Notre Dame in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. They only play six guys. So there's not going to be a depth problem or or a shorthanded problem or or stamina issue. So um, when that game and then the Big Ten season starts, you play Northwestern. Um, and, and you just have to show up and be more motivated and tougher and more excited to be there. Otherwise, and that starts at a player level. You know, we know Tom, he gets them ready. It's just, do you want to be there, A.J. Hogard? Because if you right. don't, then let's just play Trey Holloman. If you don't want to be there and you want to blame everyone else, let's just play someone else. You know, this they have to create their own momentum. And then they become fun. And that's the team we all love to watch. So what do you think? Yep. No, I, I, I mean, I'm with you. I, I think Hogard is probably the one that needs to right the ship the most. I mean, he's the one with the ball in his hands the majority of the time. He's averaging 11 points a game, but he's also averaging four turnovers a game. And I think the more than anything, it's the body language that, uh, you know, is maybe turning some some people off um, because, he, you know, we've said it about past players who are no longer with the team. Uh, we felt like there could be a tone shift from last year to this year in terms of, you know, not blaming others and not letting the momentum get you down and fighting and being hard nosed. And I think we expect that from this year's team and maybe we're not getting it from everyone. So it is time to figure that out a little bit and um, step up because, you know, Hogard is one of the leaders of this team. He's, he's averaging, you know, 11 points, almost seven assists and four rebounds games. He's, he's having an improved statistical season, but uh, with additional minutes, but we just need to see, a little bit better body language from him. But I, I will say that the one thing, if these injuries are going to happen, mm-hmm. I'm glad they happen now because yeah. this is the part of the season where you can survive Notre Dame, Northwestern, Penn State, Brown, Oakland, Buffalo. Those are the next six games. You can survive that stretch playing some of these younger guys and really creating that depth that you need to have going into the season. So this means more minutes for Holloman, Brooks, um, Cooper, you know, Jackson, Kohler, guys that need the reps against decent competition. And we've seen them get it up to this this point, but uh, they've got this stretch to really prove like, hey, we're we're valuable bench guys. And so that'll be, uh, that'll be huge. So I'm glad that they were able to get some of that out of this weekend. And ultimately, listen, we said we, I wanted to go two and one. Yep. And that's what you did. So, uh, Kudos to them. They play. If you play harder, good things happen. Jason Witten played played harder than than Portland, and good things happen. And they couldn't take him off the floor. J- Jackson Kohler, not a great statistical performance, but playing harder to overcome some of those things. If everyone is playing hard, their hair on fire, that will overcome a lot. And and then the influx of talent, Aikens and Hall you're going to see the ceiling go up on this team. And then you add in, you know, the freshman class next year, the ceiling goes up on this team. So that's what I think we need to see is just the, the effort. So, yeah, I'm with that's you. all I got. I'm excited. I'm excited for this week ahead to see if they can, they can turn it around from that perspective. Me too. Me too, John. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys, listen, thanks as always for sticking with us. Don't worry. Things are going to be fine. There's plenty to, we'll, plenty to talk about. Don't worry. Everything's going to be all right. Um, 
I think that does it for us, though. So for John, this has been Austin, and we'll catch you guys next week. See ya.